Thank you, worship team. I'm so grateful for our worship teams and for the music and the talent that they bring and what they add to our worship services. So thank you, Hannah and team. I do invite you to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. Ben read for us a companion text this morning from Genesis 2. But our main text this morning is Genesis 1. We'll be looking at verses 26 through 28. If you happen to be visiting with us, number one, we're glad you're here. Welcome. Number two, we are in the middle of a sermon series called Popular Deceptions of Our Day. These are deceptions that directly contradict what God says in his word. They are deceptions that have infiltrated many of our cultural places. They've infiltrated a lot of the news media. These are deceptions that have infiltrated much in the way of our public schools, public colleges and universities, even some of our so-called historic colleges and universities, and sadly, even many churches and seminaries, and certainly social media. They're deceptions that are misleading people. These are deceptions that are damaging families, wrecking marriages, and destroying lives. And they are deceptions that are coming at us with such cultural force and moral velocity that it's downright intimidating for a lot of God's people at times. What's interesting is that moral change, when you look at history, significant moral shift and change has taken decades, if not centuries. And yet, when you look at the speed of the current moral revolution and the speed of moral change, just in the last couple years, we are seeing something that is unprecedented in human history. Let me give you the premise of our series, because we hear a lot today about hate speech, that if you say anything that the other person doesn't agree with or doesn't like to hear, you somehow are guilty of hate speech. Now, you can, obviously, we all can say things in hateful ways. That's not godly. But just saying something that somebody else doesn't agree with doesn't mean it's hate speech. But here's the premise that I'm rolling out every week about this series, and it underlies this series, and here it is. That it is actually an act of love. It's an act of love to expose false beliefs that hold people captive and destroy lives. That's our premise. Let me say it one more time. It is an act of love to expose false beliefs that hold people captive and are destroying lives. When you do that, that is by nature an act of love, not an act of hatred. Now, the deception we're focusing on this weekend is particularly pernicious right now. It is coming at us with a, with a ferocity and an aggressiveness that is literally terrifying. And here is that deception, that we ourselves can choose our own gender and identity. And, let me add one more thing, and that others need to affirm whatever I am claiming any given day, and if they don't, they hate me. That is the deception we're looking at today. Classic example, just two and a half hours away from here in Wisconsin. Some of you may have heard the story back in April. Three eighth grade boys in Keele, Wisconsin, three middle schoolers, were brought up on charges. The three were accused of sexual harassment and a Title IX investigation was launched. Title IX is the federal civil rights law 
prohibiting same-sex discrimination to any school that receives federal funding. So these three eighth grade boys, you ask, well, what'd they do? They were charged with calling a female classmate, referring to her as her, and not as them, what she wanted to be called. And so the three boys were accused of a word that's been made up in recent days, mispronouning. A local newspaper wrote this way, quote, There had been no prior warning or discussions with the families about pronoun use at the school, nor did the district initially explain what the boys had done to warrant being investigated for a violation of federal law. Close quote. And then thankfully the case was dropped in June. To help us investigate and navigate gender and identity, we're turning to a foundational text I will show you in just a little while, this is exactly where the Apostle Paul and Jesus also turned in the New Testament because it is so important. So Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 28, one of the most foundational chapters in the Bible when it comes to identity and gender. And here we're given two truths we're going to see in these verses today about every human being. One, that all of us are created in the image of God. And number two, we are created either male or female. That is true of every human being who's ever lived made in the image of God, created male or female. So I'm going to drill down on the first truth, and then we'll look at the second one. First of all, these verses are teaching us that every single human being who's ever lived was created in the image of God. Let me read verse 26, first part, and I'm also going to read from verse 7 in chapter 2. This is what God says. God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. One more time, God said, this is God's word, let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness. If you go over to chapter 2, verse 7, then the Lord God formed a man, some of you may know the Hebrew word for man is Adam, then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So the Bible tells us right up front, hear this, young people, hear this. Human beings are uniquely created in the image of God. It is said of no other animal, not of camels, not of whales, not of snails, not of aardvarks. Got some great animals out there. None of them are in the image of God, only human beings, meaning we have dimensions about us that the animal kingdom does not. A rational dimension, a spiritual dimension, an eternal dimension, and a moral dimension that is not shared by elephants, zebras, or dogs. I'm not sure if there'll be dogs in the new earth. It's a different subject. (laughs) But that's a different subject. We are unique among the animal kingdoms. In fact, the Bible is clear that not only did God create us, it's very clear that he created us male and female. We'll get to that in a minute. Which means that the biblical picture of creation is at direct odds with the narrative of biological evolution that we somehow evolved over millions of years. There's no hint of evolution in the pages of the Bible. It's alien to the Word of God. In fact, the reality is that the worldview of creation and the worldview of evolution are at direct odds with each other. You can't somehow accommodate the two. They don't go together. The worldview of evolution, it's just important to remind ourselves, is the belief that all life evolved from lower forms of life, including human life, which in turn arose from inorganic chemicals, 
that the early chapters of Genesis are not real history. They're not reliable. They're not literal. They're not trustworthy. That human beings are the product of millions of years of evolution, of mutation and natural selection, and are no different ultimately than any other animal in the animal kingdom. And the result of the evolutionary worldview is that I choose my own identity, I choose my own gender, I choose my own rules, my own moral code, and my own purpose in life. That is where evolution takes someone. Now, that doesn't mean that every single person who believes in evolution ends up there, but that's where the worldview takes you. And some of the most prominent evolutionists of our day, Jerry Coyne, University of Chicago, Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris, and others, tell you that, and they're very clear about it. That is where evolutionary thinking leads. The exact opposite of the biblical worldview, which is what? That all of life was created by a personal God, intelligent design behind the whole thing, that the early chapters of Genesis are real history, they are reliable, they are literal, they're trustworthy, that human beings are the product of special creation by a personal God in his image, and therefore the result is that God defines our identity, God defines our gender, God defines our purpose, and God defines who we are. We don't decide that for ourselves. Now, just to be helpful and clear here, there is a number of implications that come out of the fact of this teaching that we are created in the image of God. I want to draw four out of the Bible just to help us today. Kids and young people, especially college age, want your attention. These are so critical for a Christian world and life view. Here they are. Four implications of human beings being created by a personal God in his image. Four implications. Strong implications that are taught by the Bible. Number one, taking a human life for personal reasons is murder. Taking a human life for personal reasons is murder. Now, there is, the Bible distinguishes murder from killing, and at times God orders killing either through war and or through capital punishment. Get that in a minute. But any form of personal revenge is clearly murder in the Bible. Second implication that we're made in the image of God is that taking the life of an unborn baby in the womb is taking a human life. We're going to look at this deception in just a few weeks that it's somehow not taking a human life, but a couple verses, Psalm 139 verse 13. David says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. Or Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I set you apart. It's worth noting that when the AMA, American Medical Association, was formed in 1847, they lobbied state legislatures to make abortion illegal. How far we have come. In fact, 1973, when Roe versus Wade was created out of nothing from our, by our Supreme Court, two-thirds of the states in the U.S. had laws already in the book that made abortion illegal. All but four states had laws that made abortion mostly illegal. So how far we've shifted. A third implication of being created in the image of God for human beings is that human beings are commanded to procreate and to exercise dominion and rule over creation. 
you look at verse 28, we see what we call the creation mandate. Verse 28, God blessed them, that's Adam and Eve, the first biological couple, and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. So there's the command to be fruitful and procreate. I think it's a command on every couple, biologically or through adoption or however, but the command is we are to be fruitful and increase in number. And then secondly, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule, that's a strong word in Hebrew, have dominion over the fish in the sea, birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So God commends men and women to do two things, to procreate and to subdue the earth. And a fourth implication that may surprise you about human beings being created in God's image is in chapter 9, verse 6. If you go over to chapter 9, verse 6, and it's the institution of capital punishment. If you listen to the cultural narrative, it seems like all the argumentation around capital punishment comes down to, is it, is it a deterrent or not? And that's a valid conversation, but that's not the biblical justification for capital punishment. The biblical reason God instituted capital punishment, and it was God who instituted it, was a theological reason. And it's stated for us in verse 6 of Genesis 9. So we need to pay close attention. Young people, hear this. This is a very critical verse for a Christian worldview. It says, whoever sheds human blood, which means killing, by humans shall their blood be shed. And then we're given the why. This is important. As you, I hope, are intentionally discipling your children and grandchildren and nieces and nephews, it's always important to do two things when you teach them what God has said. What he has said and then why he has said it. So often Christian parents leave out the why. We need to go back to the text and show why. The why is given right here. So, if you kill somebody by humans, you are to give your blood. Why? Because in the image of God has God made mankind. And so as I've often said sort of tongue in cheek, that's why it's okay to shoot a deer and not shoot your neighbor. That's why. I mean, it's a little strange to say it that way, but that's tr that is a biblical reason. It's okay to hunt, but not to kill human beings. Because we are given dominion over the animal kingdom, we are not purely animal. We have a completely different dimension about us because we're in the image of God. And because we're in the image of God, if you take a human life, God says you are to forfeit your own because in effect you have attacked me, God says, when you attack somebody in my image. And so that is the reason behind capital punishment. Put it another way, capital punishment was actually instituted to uphold the value of human life. And some of you have never thought of it that way before, but that is actually a very biblical concept. All right, let's, take, let's go to the second truth this morning. We've seen God created mankind in his image. The second thing being driven home in these verses is that God created every single human being, either male or female. There's only two genders. This past year, I was talking with a woman who'd gotten a hold of me. She'd grown up in one of our previous churches, and we sort of knew her extended family. She knew that. She had some questions about her family of origin. She spent time tracking me down, got a hold of me. She wanted to know some things about her, if we knew some things about her extended family. She had some deep wounds and some real anger in her life. 
and I shared with her what I could. But at one point in, the, in our conversation, as she was getting a little bit more uh, angry over things, she, she said, by the way, I'm gender non-binary. And because terms get thrown around, I said, okay, I mean, I think I know what you mean. Your definition is what? And she looked right at me with anger, you know, and she just said, it means gender is a big fat myth. Said, okay, so noted. And she actually got up and walked out. Here we come to one of the most blatant deceptions of our day, friends. Hear this. Young people, kids, hear this. This is one of the most aggressive deceptions at the moment in Western culture. And it's the deception that gender is not assigned by God, but is somehow open or fluid, something that we choose. And at the very core of this deception is this deception, that there is a complete difference between sex and gender. Sex is physical characteristics I happen to have at birth, while gender, we're told, refers to my new chosen identity or my expression of my identity or what role I'm going to play in society. And that's my own choosing. So at the core of this whole thing is saying that gender and sex are not the same thing, and this has led to a massive revolution called the transgender revolution. I would highly recommend Abigail Schreier's book entitled... Irreversible damage, thank you. When preachers just whip stuff off their memory. Irreversible damage. Now, it's not a Christian book. But those are the kinds of things we need to hear to hear an alternative narrative. Downstairs, our children's director, Heather, this morning came to me and said, by the way, she bought about 12, 13 of these. God made boys and girls helping children understand the gift of gender. If, there are still, if these are still available downstairs, you're welcome to take one per family. But this is the kind of material we need to get into the hands of people. At the end of today's message, I will be recommending, I'll have it up on the screen, three more books that I would highly encourage at least you get one of them as we go through this series. But this is the, this is the revolution right now, the transgender revolution. I was reading in World Magazine recently. World Magazine said right now there are over 11 billion, that's a billion with a B, boy, 11 billion videos posted on TikTok under the hashtag transgender and the vast majority are targeting young girls, teenage girls. That is the revolution we're in at the moment, which means we have to think biblically. Verse 27 helps us do that. God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them but it doesn't end there. Male and female, he created them. So who decides our gender? God does. I didn't choose my own gender. And beyond teaching that all human beings are made in the image of God, the Bible teaches that there's only two genders, male and female. That's not hate speech. That's truth speech. It's love speech. It's loving to tell someone the truth. Sex and gender, if you want to even divide them, are assigned by the creator. It's not something we make a decision on later in life. And it's something that Jesus affirmed in his own preaching. I want you to turn with me for a minute to Matthew chapter 19. When Jesus did something very interesting. 
in a discussion with the Pharisees. Pharisees were religious leaders. They didn't like Jesus. In fact, they hated him. And one day they got into a game of gotcha. You've all gotten into gotcha conversations. We've all done it, and we've all been the recipient of it, where someone's tried to trap us and trip us up. And this is exactly what's going on in Matthew 19. These religious leaders who hated Jesus are trying to trip him up, and they're having a conversation about divorce and marriage. And I want to show you something that Jesus said that's highly significant for our sermon today. Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 to 6. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Now, some Pharisees came to him to test him. This is, that's code for to trip him up. They asked, let's just be clear, they weren't seeking information here. These guys were highly trained in the Mosaic Law. They knew exactly what the Mosaic Law says. So this is not a real question. This is a gotcha question. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Well, they already knew the answer. And Jesus didn't play their game. Verse 4. Now, I want you to notice how Jesus answers their question and where he takes them. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female? Where did Jesus just take them in the Bible? Genesis. He immediately made a beeline for our text. Verse 5, and then Jesus continues, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Genesis. So they're no longer two but one flesh. That's why we need a literal biological first couple, Adam and Eve. That's why it's a gospel issue if you somehow say, Oh, there wasn't an original biological couple, Adam and Eve. It is a gospel issue. It's also a truth issue here. So no longer they are not two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So what are we saying? We're saying, ladies and gentlemen, young people, the Bible is an extremely binary book. There's only two varieties of human beings. And that, by the way, makes the T and LGBT really out of step with the other letters. You say, why? Well, because if you really believe in the arguments for same-sex relationships or same-sex marriage. We don't. I'll get into that in a couple weeks. But if you believe there is male-female, you, you have to believe that if you're going to have a same-sex relationship or marriage, then the T really is out of step with the others that says, oh, there is no gender. And so the letters don't really go together in that sense. And there's discontinuity, which explains why a classical feminist like J.K. Rowling, who the Harry Potter series, has gotten into so much hot water in the last year or two for coming out and saying that she's not in favor of cross-competing in sports, that men should stay in men's sports and women should stay in women's sports, and she has just gotten hammered for saying that because she's affirming what the first letters are, saying that there is actually male and female. The T comes along and says, oh, no. So the letters don't even go together. And not only is the Bible clear about gender differences, ladies and gentlemen, young people, I mean, just think for a minute. Human anatomy shouts it out. Biology shouts it out. Psychology shouts it out. If you had the privilege of raising boys and girls, you know <laughs> that boys, little boys, little girls are fundamentally different to the core of their being. I have a son, two daughters. 
Very different experience raising them. Night and day. Male and female, men and women are different in their chromosomes. Their brains are different. Their voices are different. Their bodies are different. Their physiology is different. Their reproductive systems are different. And just to be clear, men cannot get pregnant. Just to be clear for all of us, I, I can't believe, I never, if you told me when I started the ministry a few decades ago that I would need to stand up and say that, What was insane has become sane, and what was sane has become insane. And so Apple Phone's little new emoji of a pregnant male is absolute nonsense, but beyond that is an insult to women, it's an insult to men, and it's an insult to the Creator. The very concept of God assigning objective gender is just under massive attack. As I said, we just got back from a vacation. Part of the vacation was a family reunion out in South Dakota. And as I was talking and eating and did a lot of eating and a lot of talking, my sister-in-law, one of my sister-in-laws from Twin Cities, Minneapolis, said, oh, you should, she scroll on her phone, you should see this posting. This just came from a, a couple just in our area. I said, well, what is it? She said, this actually might go with your sermon. I said, let me see it. This is just a routine Facebook post from their area in northern Minneapolis there. Quote, this comes from a self-defined couple. We're looking for help to find some options for our gender-fluid five-year-old. We are having difficulty finding a school that checks our main boxes. We're looking for a kindergarten with smaller class ratios that is also accepting of gender fluidity, a two-mom family, and is LGBTQIA affirming. That's just a standard Facebook post buried in thousands of Facebook posts in northern Minneapolis just a couple weeks ago. Another magazine, The National Review, targeted liberal seminaries and said it's amazing that some liberal seminaries, they mentioned specifically Duke Divinity School, connected to Duke University, these are liberal seminaries, they were historically conservative, they've gone very liberal, radical, or Vanderbilt Divinity School, connected to Vanderbilt University in Nashville, that professors are now being instructed, especially theological professors, professors in the New Testament department, are being instructed to use gender-fluid, gender-inclusive language when referring to God in the classroom with seminary students. Friends, the Bible makes one thing clear. It makes a lot of things clear, but when it comes to language, when you begin to change language, you begin to change theology. That's why you play language games. That's why the Nazis played language games. You disguise what you're doing by using language in a deceptive way to mask the truth. That's hate speech. That's what real hate speech is. And there... At the end of the day, we have to call the moral revolution what it is and the transgender revolution what it is. This needs to be said kindly. There's no justification for Christian ever to be abrasive and harsh. But it needs to be said clearly that the whole transgender revolution, the moral revolution, the whole idea that we choose our own gender and identity 
The only thing scripture says about this, it's open rebellion against God. And that's what it is. It has to be said kindly and graciously, but it needs to be said. Our children, our teenagers, our university students are being misled, misinformed, intimidated, lied to, and bullied into accepting new definitions of gender and identity that are both unbiblical, unscientific, and have never existed in the history of the world. In my research, I came across Dr. Paul McHugh, MC, capital H-U-G-H. He wrote an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal a couple years ago. I checked this morning. He is 91, and he's still listed on the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine faculty. His title is University Distinguished Service Professor of Psychiatry at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. Writing just a couple years ago in an op-ed piece, he said this. After surveying numerous people who'd undergone sex reassignment surgery, he wrote, quote, sex change is biologically impossible. People who undergo sex reassignment surgery do not change from men to women or vice versa. Rather, they become feminized men or masculinized women. Claiming that this is a civil rights matter and encouraging surgical intervention is in reality to collaborate with and promote a mental disorder. Close quote. And he's still connected even as an emeritus status, they still have them on their website. Just last week, I was again reading the Wall Street Journal opinion page, and I came across this opinion, op-ed piece, medical education goes woke. And it said this, we're told that future doctors will have to learn how health issues really relate to systems of oppression Quote, medical students who manage somehow to avoid learning critical race theory in college will now get an immersive course in medical school. They will be expected to demonstrate their own competency and intersectionality when it deals with patients' multiple identities. As the editor's note of the Wall Street Journal, this isn't about personality disorders, it's about identity politics. Close quote. And finally, Back to Genesis 1 for just a moment. Again, it's important to note, not only are we told that God created us in his image, that God created us, male and female, but why? Again, take your kids to the why. If you have kids at home, go make sure you ground everything God has said in why he has said it. And we're told why God created two genders. Verse 28, we've already touched on it. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. Why did God create men and women? To form new family units, which is a foundational moral brick in every single culture. There are no exceptions. Matthew 19, haven't you read, said Jesus, from the beginning, God created them male and female. What's Jesus doing? Going back to Genesis. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. All right. Time to land the plane. 
four implications, four summons this morning. We could, there are lots of summons coming out of this passage, but I want to draw our attention to four this morning that are very important. So please give me your attention. Number one, summons coming out of today's passage. All human beings are created in God's image and are accountable to him. Do you know Christ? Have you been born again? It's not enough to go to church. It's not enough to listen to biblical sermons. It's not enough to get some inspirational goodies on Sunday morning. I have to be born again. Jesus said, you must be born again. And he said that to an esteemed religious leader who was not. Bible says, so then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Romans 14, 12. Isaiah 59, 2. Your sins have cut you off from God. Mark 1, Jesus said, repent and believe the gospel. You say, what does it mean to repent? Repent means to turn around and hate the things I used to love and to love the things I used to hate. Do you know Christ? Have you been born again? Have you repented and turned to Christ and believed in him as your only hope in saving faith? That has to be the first implication, the first summons this morning. Secondly, Christians need to be on the forefront of showing compassion to those who are struggling with gender dysphoria. Gender dysphoria, meaning confusion, is growing. It's a very real problem. And especially, it's bad enough for children coming from genuinely Christian families that get into the university system and get all messed up, but we need to be the foremost of having compassion on those coming out of non-Christian homes whom we come across that genuinely are truly struggling with this issue. It's a gospel thing to come alongside people with compassion who are confused, who are hurting, and who are struggling with gender dysphoria, to love them and be patient. It's not an overnight quick fix. And we need to have gospel endurance and gospel compassion with them. Thirdly, moms and dads, we need to be alert to our kids' social media habits. Whoa, got quiet. Some of us are not paying attention. And our kids are getting sucked into a dark world of deception and demons and dishonesty, and it's lethal. It's, here's the first thing you need to do if it's a two-parent family. Make sure you're on the same page. And then sit down and start the conversation, but make sure you're clear where it's going to end up and what the boundaries are, and that mom and dad set them, or mom or dad, and not the child or the teen. So important. Go back to what World Magazine said with over 11 billion videos right now on TikTok, hashtag transgender, targeting our children and our grandkids. And lastly, Christians are called to celebrate male and female. We shouldn't be timid. We shouldn't be arrogant. And we, we dare not be abrasive. But we dare not retreat. And we need to celebrate male and female and talk it up. I talk it up whenever I can. God gives all of us a platform. When I'm at a wedding, when I'm at a funeral, when I'm doing anything, preaching, sharing, discipling, I'm talking up. Man, woman, good thing. I married a woman, good thing. I like woman. I like my bride. 
37 years this week. I love being married to Becky Joy. It's a good thing to celebrate it. And here's something a lot of us forget. We undermate the gospel power of a godly family, a godly marriage. There is gospel power when unbelievers see a husband fulfilling his role as spiritual leader in loving his bride, and when a wife is fulfilling her role of support and helpmate submitting and loving her husband and respecting him. There is tremendous gospel power, evangelistic power, in a culture that watches that marriage and that family. And so Christians are called to celebrate. Don't retreat. We're called to celebrate male and female and to celebrate godly marriages. Let us never underestimate the witness for Christ that can be done by a neighbor, a colleague, somebody in our world seeing a godly marriage and a godly family. It is transformational transformational. Three books I want to recommend. There's lots of them, but besides this one, God Made Boys and Girls. Three, I would, I would encourage you to pick at least one of these and read during this series. These are all in our library, by the way, our church library. Two of them are by Al Mohler, president of Southern Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, a titan and one of the best seminaries on our planet. We Cannot Be Silent, that's a little older. The Gathering Storm is a little newer. Both of them are very good. Al Mohler is one of the best cultural exegetes there is for helping us navigate and understand the currents in our current culture. His podcast, Becky and I listen to it five days a week. The briefing, fantastic. And then the other one, Erwin Lutzer, who's actually preached here a few years ago, We Will Not Be Silenced, outstanding. I bought these for our leaders a couple years ago, and he has a new one coming out shortly. These are the kind of things we need to read to be informed and to be on the cutting edge so that we can, with gospel love and gospel compassion, help people to see what God has said. Father, thank you for Genesis. Thank you for Adam and Eve. Thank you for the pattern of marriage and what you designed it for and to be. I want to pray right now for marriages that are here that are in trouble. I pray for that marriage, Father, that might be on the verge of divorce today, that you would intervene and bring repentance and renewal and restoration. I pray for the rest of our marriages, for those that are married, that you would strengthen the marriages in this church. I pray for our singles, that they would be content where they are called right now and that we would reflect what you have called us to in the Bible. Gospel people who have compassion but want to speak the truth. We thank you and we praise you for giving us a book that tells us the truth about us and how to know you and be restored to you. In Jesus' name we pray.